Hello and welcome to Hive Radio Storytellers Podcast. Each month we select a theme and our group create and record fictional pieces for your listening pleasure. I'm Diane Gray and I'll be taking you through our stories for this podcast. This month we look at remembrance and our group have produced some thought-provoking pieces and others looked at it from an alternative perspective. Firstly, we start with a group of schoolboy friends. Black Bullets Three twists of black bullets, inquired the sweet shop man as he leaned over the counter and grinned at the mop of fair curls below. Yes, please. The boy strained upwards on tiptoe, holding three farthings. One for your dad in the shipyards, one for your uncle doing the pit, is that right? Aye, oh, I know who sucking black bullets keeps our cravings at bay. There's no smoking doing there, eh, lad? That's right, Mr Berry. And don't forget, a twist for me. Billy Collins ran to the corner where his mates were sitting on their school jotters, playing marbles. Where? Share the moot then, urged Donny. Did you know these were made in moulds for musket balls? announced Kenny. Clever clogs. You'll be wanting a war next, Billy joked. In 1914, the joke was over, and William, Arnold and Kenneth volunteered for Kitchener's army. The mothers and sweethearts silently called, Come back, as the young men waved and the steam train swallowed them away to the south. How did it all start? Wondered Arnie. Someone assassinated this Archduke chappy, Kenny informed the carriage. Anyway, we've got General Haig organising us, <laughs> so we'll be all right. Billy reassured everyone. I just think of them lovely French lasses. Sang Arnie, quite beside himself. The jingoism was short-lived. As they hunkered in the trench on the eve of the Battle of the Somme, Billy's darling Eileen drifted before him. He struggled to see her face. A fight between the horror of what lay in wait next morning and the incessant itching of the lice burrowing within his uniform. His churning gut was raw and hollow. The July mist lifted and the call came. The senseless scramble into the barrage, the dodging, the diving and the deafening guns. In the silence, the skylogs cried. Billy stared up at the blue. He trickled his last drops of water down his parched throat. Raising on one elbow, he moaned. Oh, I'm in flaming no man's land. A creature hurtled across the wormy ground. It skidded in his face, sending mud up his nostrils. It whined and nuzzled him. What's that, boy? Billy untwined a note from the Airedale's collar. Bitter hellfin. Please help. Come on, dog. He ran low, while the guns thundered above and around. The dog dutifully stopped 
allowing him to catch up. In a crater in Mamet's wood, he saw the wounded man. Vasa! Water! None left, sorry. But I have got. Billy rummaged in his pack and produced a twist of paper. Black bullets. Good for thirst. Bullets? puzzled the German. While the air day raced back with Billy's message for aid, a halting conversation between the German and the Geordie revealed their anguish at the separation from their sweethearts. Hans had written a poem inspired by a friendly nurse who had waved to him while on sentry duty. In the Second World War, the Allied forces tuned in to Radio Belgrade every night. Punctually, at 9.55pm, the velvet voice of Marlene Dietrich reached out to the troops gathered around the transmitter. Her song reminded every soldier of the girl he'd left behind. And every night, Billy Collins Jr. would share his black bullets with pride, for his dad had saved the man who wrote the haunting lyrics of Lily Marlene. Black Bullets was written and narrated by Anne Ridley. Mr. Berry, the sweet shop man, was played by David By. Billy Collins was played by Michael Keane. Arnie was played by John Caffrey. Kenny was played by Andrew Ball. All three admirably transformed their voices from 10-year-old boys to soldiers. The Airedale Dog, Hans the German and Lily Marlene were played by Anne Ridley. Sound effects were by Mike Ridley. We now have a poem written to comment on the relevance of the poppy. The Poppy This poppy is for you, for you. Each petal is for you, for swathes of men scythed in their prime, blown up or buried deep, or gust or wandering ghosts in time, who found no rest in sleep. Each seed's a soldier gone to war and lost in a sea of mud, each pod's crammed with a nation's hopes, enriched by drops of blood. Each poppy's a carmine tear, for the families who mourn, for those who never returned to see another dawn. The Poppy was written by Lorna Windham and read by David By. We look at the themes we work on from different angles and this piece certainly does that. The subject of remembrance can also be about memories. Your memories, my memories, of our golden era when we were young, and how others perceive them. That's what the following piece is about, because... <sighs> nostalgia's not what it used to be, is it? For those impressed by bewildering facts, here's a modern one for you. Some day, millennials will look back fondly at the year 2022.
Oh, God, no. Today's thoughts and trends they'll have to defend under much fresher eyes' scrutiny. And as they do so, like us, they will confess. Nostalgia's not as good as it used to be. How many times have you heard somebody say, of course you wouldn't get away with that now, as there are good reasons why some attitudes of old should no longer be allowed. So it seems looking back is now under attack from the 21st century. Current standards and morals must censor those from your childhood's memories. Yet bids to rehabilitate yesteryear prove the media's judgment unsound. They're either wildly historically inaccurate or generalise dumbing things down. Like casting a minority in a role in history where they clearly never belonged. Such deliberate inaccuracy just to please current critics feels forced, patronising and wrong. Too often you'll hear, in reflections on a year, the lazy claim that was when we were all either buying this song or seeing that movie, to which I say, what a load of balls. No, we didn't all see the same films and shows, or wore the same clothes as trendsetters. Try telling that, though, to programme planners who seem to think they all know better. Midlife media bosses in their crises reflect and want us all on the same page. To agree theirs was the best time to be young when they were still only teenaged. Oh, please forget what has been said about others. Now the 80s was the best decade. That's until 1990s teenagers take over. Then most hype about the 80s will fade. It's always been 30 to 40 years behind, like each era's ideas of equality. And knowing this fact ensures that nostalgia's never what it used to be. When some of today's young moralise over what's gone, they lack the insight to learn that the same will happen given 30 years or so when it's time for their heyday's return. Some phrases most deem innocuous now will by then become frowned upon. We'd say it's baffling, PC gone mad, but it's progress to the next generation. Hasn't this cycle always been that way? No period was perfect, that's the truth. Something only learnt with the benefit of hindsight, not the naivety of youth. I'd bet even in the ancient world, if we could travel back, we'd find some pharaohs and incas longing for an age their society had left behind. Perhaps from Neanderthal to millennial, due to changing sensibilities. Past tastes have seemed awkward, meaning nostalgia's not what it used to be. Nostalgia's Not What It Used To Be was written and performed by Andrew Ball. And even he's not as good as he once was, is he? Some pieces we include in our podcast are from time gone by. Our next piece is a poem written many years ago. Bonnie Corkadale. There's a spot in northeast England where I so long to be. Its name is Bonnie Corkadale and it's beautiful to see. Its silvery winding river and purpled heathered hills 
are scenes where beauty lovers can have so many thrills. Oh, bonnie, bonnie crocodile, how I miss you tonight, soldiering here in this far-off land, just waiting for the fight. After I have seen the blue North Sea from off thy highest hill, while tiny streams run down your side towards old Tossin Mill. O purple-heathered Cheviot Hills, the home of black-faced sheep, and where the hardy shepherd lads climb thy hills so steep. Oft I have watched their collie dogs rounding up the strays, whilst upon Bonnie Crocodile thy lofty peaks do gaze. O Bonnie Crocodile, thou art worth fighting for, and like the rest of English earth, you are under freedom's law. Oft I have roamed thy heathered hills, thy winding river too, and if God spares me through this war, I'll soon return to you. Written by John French Jackson while he was a prisoner of war in Poland, World War II. Read by Chris Jackson. The Rothbury Hills, played by Ian Gelston. Some of the members of the group have written things in the past, and when we select our theme for the month, can go back into their archives to find something just right, especially when they know somebody in the group who has a perfect voice to suit the piece. And that is what's happened with this contribution to our podcast. Have a bad lot, me. Always have been, always will be. Don't waste your time or your sympathy on me. I don't deserve it. I did what I did, and here's an end of it. I sink lower in my chair. I raise watery eyes to the ghastly sky. The icy wind should be whipping my shoulders had this thick wound coat been thinner. But it's not. So I sit on. Tucker should be here. He'd be laughing. Got a smart missus he has. Long legs. A backside all firm and hard. Brunette, I think. No, strawberry blonde. Has <laughs> a thing about me. I remember the touch of her fingers when she hands me those scones. With the clock ticking, the tablecloth, and took us cheap aftershave that he gets off Wilson's hand in the air like a horse blanket. But her eyes, always floating to me, all big and black, with just the tiniest rim of blue. I shiver and cast around for a face in the forsaken crowd. But whoever I look at, they drop their gaze in embarrassment and shuffle uncomfortably. Except for one, the strawberry blonde. He stares back as bold as brass, uncomfortably so. That man knows. He knows I killed Tucker. He knows I killed Tucker one crisp winter morning by raising my finger at the end of that stinking vegetable patch. I murder my best friend and leave him to the filthy cabbages and the smell of rotten eggs. I murder my best friend in cold blood. I creep to the end of that allotment using eyes, ears and nose to make sure we are alone. We are. So I raise my finger. Tucker starts coming weary from behind the bin all low and crafty like, holding his breath. Then whiz! From nowhere a bullet ends our friendship. Just like that. Over. Dead.
I drop my eyes to my thermal-lined gloves, hands that are responsible for breaking so many hearts. Tupper's left a big void, bigger than I thought. I feel numb, angry, confused. All I can do is switch to autopilot and carry on as if nothing had happened. But nothing matters anymore. Nothing is real. Who cares? I don't. I'm guilty of taking my best friend's life. So why does anyone matter anymore? I've created a void. A void that should have been there to watch my back. But I've butchered it on that stinking scrap of green. I don't care anymore. I get reckless and lucky. But all I can see is big friendly tucker come from behind that bin. The smell of the cabbages and the feeling that the world is holding its breath, waiting over and over and over again. No matter how many I kill, tucker still keeps creeping. Even God can't make him stop. Over the years we started avoiding allotments. Tucker doesn't like crowds or sudden noises, you see. My niece's birthday party was the worst. We have to leave after half an hour. Too many crying children and parents drilling hell about her loony brother. Tucker still living inside my head, you know. Only this Tucker doesn't laugh anymore. He just been with us, grinning boys all waving at me. Yeah, that big, kind, cruel God who judges me to be condemned man forever. Just make sure I live long enough to relish both my sins and tuckers. A white-gloved white hand holds my shoulder. Behind me, a younger fellow holed out of the Victoria Cross snaps to attention. I bet he's staring at the bloody poppies. That was written by Delphine Blenkinsop and read by John Caffrey. Incidental music is by Ben Hudson and the podcast is produced by Diane Gray. We hope you enjoyed our offerings and we look forward to our next podcast in December. If you've enjoyed listening to our stories, please let us know. Our group meets every Wednesday, sometimes virtually, other times in person, especially when we have new projects developing. If you're interested in getting involved in writing, performing or producing audio, drama and podcasts, please get in touch. You can contact us by emailing us at hive underscore radio underscore storytellers at outlook.com or leave comments on our Facebook page. You can search for Hive Radio Storytellers.